Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Next Road podcast. This is a show all about rechargeable battery manufacturing. How do we make the batteries you find in electric vehicles, laptops and your mobile phones? My name is Sophia and today we'll be focusing on outreach. Why are batteries important? How do they work? And how can we communicate that to the general public? I have got two very special guests with me today. We have Lizzie Driscoll, who is currently doing her PhD at the University of Birmingham. She'll be telling us how she used Jenga to create a game to explain how a battery works. And we have Emily Hanover, who is a summer intern just like me. She's created another game using blocks to complement Lizzie's game and to further students' understanding of lithium-ion batteries. So Lizzie, some of our listeners will probably be at a similar stage to me and Emily. They might be undergraduates or they might be masters thinking about doing a PhD. So can you take me through how you realised you wanted to undertake a PhD and how you went about finding one? So the sort of area that I'm in is solid state chemistry. And I've always had, I suppose, from A-level sort of physics, I was always interested in the material side of things things and I ended up uh, doing a chemistry undergraduate degree and my industry placement I was actually at a a solar sort of energy startup company so looking at next generation of solar panels and that again involves solid state chemistry so I wasn't very good at the organic side of things I'm more of what I wish I was better but um, I'm not that good and uh, I came back from my year in industry uh, so my supervisor now for PhD was also my academic supervisor for my year in industry. Yeah. And I remember having a meeting with Pete because I also did my master's project with him. So again, on the solar theme, but on the lead free, because uh, I was looking at perovskite solar cells from a year in industry and they contain lead. So kind of looking at a, like a nice, healthier version, see if it was possible and still get the same sort of uh, characteristics. And it started having a chat with Pete for my first meeting. He was like, so what are you planning on doing next and I was just like I have no idea I remember looking at sort of grad schemes but really for me there was nothing about maybe like I have to be really interested to go for it yeah and also with doing my master's with Pete I was like I actually really like working for you I think that's definitely a key like knowing that you really enjoy the topic but they're also having a great sort of supportive supervisor and uh, we spoke a little bit more about it and I didn't actually look anywhere else for PhDs I kind of really liked working with Pete yeah I loved the sort of environment um with the solid state chemistry unit and I was like I'm gonna stay with you um but instead of doing sort of solar for my PhD I decided to let's jump ship so have something a little bit different learn something new so instead of doing energy generation it's now energy storage and it's gone from there and yeah I just I love working with Pete so we've got a really good relationship and I've learned a heck of a lot so I'm I'm really glad I stayed on to do a PhD because I think if I went back out into industry uh, after master's I don't know I kind of in a way it sounds it might sound kind of bad but I kind of like I don't like being told what to do I kind of like being able to (laughs) sort of develop my thinking and be like actually let's do this and this but I think that's where PhD has been really good for me just trying all these different sort of ideas and going from there so yeah yeah so would you say PhD is really flexible I think so yeah so I think it starts a sort of topic and maybe down to supervisor because initially my PhD started as sodium ion batteries so mainly looking at the sort of cathode material so the cathode uh, would be the material that contains the sodium before you start charging yeah and uh 
from with my PhD, I've actually been able to look into lithium iron uh, batteries, and instead of working on the cathodes, now the anodes, uh, that's where, say, the lithium or sodium is integrated on charging. And as well, also being able to get involved with the outreach and public engagement. It's so nice to have that sort of education tie. So there's been a lot of freedom and I've loved it. But yes, yeah, the scary <laughs> thing is going to have to try and write all this up. But it's nice. I've enjoyed the freedom and just sort of just seeing where everything goes. Because that's the beauty of research. It's, it's stuff that no one's really done before. So yeah, and you've used the idea of intercalation. Um, that's really important to your game. So, yeah, we'll be talking about that a bit later on. And um, so, Emily, you are an intern like me. You're on the Faraday Institute Summer Intern Scheme. How did you come to apply to this internship? It was in the middle of exam season. So I'd, I was revising a lot and obviously taking exams. So it's all a little bit hazy. Yeah. But I originally had a different summer internship. But oh, yeah. that got moved um, <laughs> because of coronavirus and it was adapted. So I sort of lost that. So I just accepted, okay, well, I guess I'll do something else with my summer. But um, Dr. Ruth Patchett, uh, she emailed me this opportunity because over the past couple of years, I've worked quite a bit with the outreach in the department. So she knew that I was really interested in outreach and she saw how much I did and she just sent it to me saying maybe have a look at this you might enjoy it Um, so I had a look at it and it looked really interesting it was right up my street so I just wrote an application (laughs) I think the thing is because it was in exam season and revision season it meant that I couldn't overthink it Mm. which is actually a really good thing because my interview was on it was on a Friday afternoon and I'd had my physical exam in the morning oh like wow exam. <laughs> so by the point that I took the interview I went you know what I'll just I'll just go with it it doesn't really matter like it doesn't it doesn't matter I'm quite tired and actually I think that worked in my favor because I couldn't yeah. my answers and I couldn't just overanalyze everything yeah like you'd already had the adrenaline rush in the morning of your exam you got that out the way <laughs> whereas with my interview I'd already finished my exams so I was just oh no the adrenaline the adrenaline wore off like four hours beforehand <laughs> because I would I'd been I'd sat and done this three-hour exam paper and went you know what I'm tired now yeah <laughs> so I think you know we're going to move on to the main bit now we need to learn about these games it's so exciting um so, Lizzie, can you tell us about the Jenga game? How did you come up with the concept? So, most of the ideas from sort of state group, it normally happens when you've got a drink and it's normally <laughs> a wacky idea and it goes from there. So, I remember it was in February last year, Pete suggested, you know, well, we can actually convert one of the structures, which is laid anyway, and make use of Jenga. And going from, like, say, showing the initial charge and discharge and other sort of demonstrations. Uh, came about from that so um I can sort of visually describe it if you want would that help yeah that would be great so um in our sort of Jenga set we bought one sort of garden set and we divided it in half uh so in batteries you have two electrodes and it's separated by an electrolyte but in the Jenga game we don't we don't focus on the electrolyte you can probably visualize it as just being electrolyte which helps our lithiums move uh, back and forth so with one half of our set we have our oxide electrode. And so if you picture half a Jenga set, 
Uh, visualize that the top and bottom rows are covered in aluminium foils because uh, oxide material is coated onto aluminium. And so just think that you've just got shiny blocks, top and bottom, and in between those, you've got alternating layers between the cobalt oxide and lithium. So the cobalt oxides are the, the blocks that go across. So you can visualize how we went for like a purple color. And uh, the three sort of rows where you can pull out, they've got big sort of lithium buttons on. And uh, this will go on until you get to the top of the set where you meet the aluminium. So that's one set. And then the other half is we have our graphite electrode. So we normally say if we're working with school children, just get them to think where they can actually find graphite in the electrode. And it's quite nice actually, the Faraday Institution sent me some pencils and it has on there saying, what do we have in common with batteries? And obviously the pencils, they have graphite. So graphite is a layered material. And again, with Jenga, we can represent these layered materials, just how these sets are set up. And just like where we've got the oxide material with the aluminium blocks on the top and the bottom, the graphite electrode is actually deposited onto copper uh, foil instead. So the top and the bottom sort of rows, we represented with orange paint and copper one pence pieces. And we actually show um, the alternating where you've got the longitudinal blocks, the free blocks. So the longitudinal block is our graphite and then the free blocks in between, it's painted white to represent sort of the blank space. And it's a space that sort of separates our different sort of sheets of the graphite while our different layers of the graphite. And so what we can do once we've got this set up is we can show just the basics of charging and discharging. And I think it's always nice to relate to applications. So normally say, so what, what do you do when your phone, you know, it's run out of charge? Everyone says, oh, yeah. just plug it in. So what's going in when you plug it in is you're actually moving your lithium ions, so our blue dots, uh, blue buttons between the layers of the cobalt they're getting shuttled across, they'll go through an electrolyte, but we're not showing the electrolyte here, and it'll be inserted into our graphite. And that will go on until your phone is safely charged. And then the reverse process, it's a downhill one, so you don't actually have to put an energy in. And that's why when you're going around during the day, your phone is discharging, it's not plugged into an energy side, because lithium actually wants to go back into the oxide electrode. Right. And so we show charging and discharging. Other things we can actually do with these sets. So we actually painted the reverse, well, the initial set was painted. We went for a more tactile set later on, just so all children, anyone, regardless of they're visually impaired or normally sighted, can access it. And behind the other set, I say behind our graphite electrode, is another oxide electrode. And so that means when we get students involved, we can have one student being the slow charge, one being the fast. And we get to think about the sort of different applications, the sort of rates. So... For example, a phone takes a couple of hours to charge, but then really you wouldn't plug your phone charger into an electric car. They'd need two different sort of charging yeah. rates and, you know, a lot more sort of energy to get the lithiums to move. So we get students to think, well, what happens when you slowly, you know, pull out the lithiums out your set? And, you know, most of them, you know, they'll take as many as they can, but the structure is still standing. Yeah. I love doing the fast charging because students will just go for it. So they'll pull out any lithium. So if you're playing Jenga, you know, you can only pull out certain blocks because you don't want the tower to collapse. But when you're going crazy, you're doing the fast charging, the lithiums will just come out from all over the place. The tower won't be, you know, how it will be pristine. And eventually we get stretch collapse. So you can relate the sort of rate charging applications to safety. 
Yeah, and, and it fun. sounds like it's a lot of fun as well. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> that's my favourite one. It's, it's great with the sort of students, you just like, because they're like, can I knock the tower? Like, they, they kind of hesitate <laughs> because they're like, I don't want to make the tower collapse. And I'm like, yeah, just go for it. This proves our whole point. Yeah. Um, so the faster charger, you've got to be more careful with, and you do relate it to safety because you don't mm. want any sort of battery fires. We definitely don't want that. And I always say to kids when I'm doing demo lectures, everyone really wants to say explosions and that. And I'm like, well, if we've got a fire or any sort in the lab, we're doing a bad job with chemistry. <laughs> like safety is important. And then the final demonstration we can do is degradation. Because sometimes you get asked, like, when we've been out doing events, well, why are my batteries, like, failing after two years and I've got to get a new phone? And it's like, well, the battery is going to degrade. And so if you get, um, say if you just take your oxide material and just pull out the lithium blocks, put them back in, your sort of layered structure is not going to be perfect. The tower is actually going to be a little bit wonky. And that represents our material, the lithium carbon oxide. So over time when you're charging and discharging, you're not going to have your perfect structure. And it's going to get a little bit, you know, uh, messed about and out of place. And that's how you can relate to degradation. I mean, you could do the same with the graphite electrode, but I quite like going for my purple sort of set. <laughs> um, so there's three different demos that we can talk about and just to highlight the characteristics. And then we relate to sort of, well, why, like batteries, you know, they came about in the 1990s. Why do we still care? And it's just because there's so much research still going on to them where you've got, say, for example, the last 10 years to see the development of the portable electronics industry with more smartphones, laptops, and now actually the push with the sort of climate emergency, trying to go for yeah. electric vehicles instead of, you know, the internal combustion engines. So it's really great just to raise awareness of technology that we have all around our house, but also what are current research efforts. So it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I read in um in twenty eighteen they found out that only 0.5% of the vehicles on the road um were either electric or hybrid. So there's so much scope for electrification of transport and the government wants to be carbon neutral by 2050. So you know that's gonna have to happen at some point. So this is why the research that the Faraday Institution and the Next Road project is doing is just so important and it's still so relevant, even though batteries were invented so long ago. Yeah, definitely. Um, so Lizzie, you mentioned that you made the game a bit more inclusive um, with colours and things like that. Can you tell us a bit more about how you made it inclusive? Okay, so yeah. So um, probably just over a year ago, we did the RNIB uh, training. So training for the blind. So it's actually a really useful course because I suppose if you're normal sighted, you just go about your day. But actually being able to like visually describe and have to think about what you're saying but then what's quite useful if you have that sort of visual impairment are textures. But um, obviously you have Braille, but not everyone can read Braille. So we focused on our second set we made. So the original set was painted, but it just had a smooth sort of painted surface. Mm. You can't really distinguish between the blocks. And with the tactile set, we went for like different textures and anything that we could find either from a craft shop or around the home. So with the sort of colour scheme, we went for blue and purple. So I remember looking at the RNIB site and just looking at the sort of different visual impairments and what sort of colours don't really have that much variation. Right. And so red and green are a big no for anyone who's colourblind. And so our sort of end result is we've got aluminium foil from the kitchen just to represent that aluminium nice and easy. Purple glitter paper with a fixed sort of uh, raised gems to sort of represent our carbon oxide. And these big blue uh, painted buttons to represent our lithium. So there's different sort of surfaces that students or I suppose 
public can touch. And for the graphite one, uh, the copper foil is just orange with the copper once fence pieces. Yeah. And with the graphite sheets, we took um, the top layer of cardboard, so you have that sort of ridge texture. I don't know if anyone's right. actually seen it and yeah. painted it grey. So again, it's got these different sort of textures. And um, we trialled it with students with that sort of, with the visual impairment. And one set, which is again, developing further. So with my original set, that's purple and blue. Uh, Emily, our master's student from last year, did a lot more research into sort of what's the best colours. And I think it right. might be on the NHS website. Okay. So actually yellow and blue is the better option. So the more recent set, uh, we've actually sent to a school in Bolton, to the Century Services, uh, just to give their students a trial. And then it's always going to be a developing process just to make sure we get it right for the students. Um, so that's one of the differences. But the main thing we sort of catering for that group is going for tactile surfaces, contrasting colours. And I suppose as well, you could also have like a, an audio edition. So one teacher who helps us out a lot, and I think mm. we, we credit her in the paper we did, yeah. is um, with, say, for example, the charging um, charging rate sort of demonstration have actual sounding beat to represent the slow and the fast oh, okay. so you can tie it in with those sort of things too but if you're actually catering say for students who are blind or visually impaired any student can access it who's normally sighted because they can still see it and have mm. the tactile but at least you're catering to that additional group so yeah yeah and it's, it also benefits students that you know, even if you're not visually impaired, having all of those different um, sort of sensory experiences will help you remember the concepts behind it even more. So that's amazing. Emily, you've created um, a block game, which is sort of supposed to compare and contrast to Lizzie's and build upon the students' knowledge of what they've learned from Lizzie's game. So can you tell us about how your game works? Yeah, so mine is a little bit different because instead of being made of Jenga blocks that you can buy from the shop I didn't have access to that at that time so I just I took a plank of wood that we had in the garden um chopped it up and painted it and stuck it together so it turned into this model essentially rather than with the Jenga blocks where when you take it out it the structure collapses which is representative of a layered structure uh, I've been more focusing on lithium ion phosphate as right. a different uh, cathode material. This has a olivine structure as opposed to the layered structure, which means that there are actually iron, uh, iron oxide groups holding the structure together. So even when you take out the lithiums, yeah, you can take the blocks out and it doesn't immediately collapse because it's held together with hot glue. This, it's still in its initial stages. I, this is only a prototype. I would like to remake it um, to incorporate some different features. For example, showing, because the way that the lithiums move in and out of the structure is different to the layered structure. Um, right. Within the layered structure, there's for like the layer of the lithiums and then there's the other layer and then there's a layer of lithiums. Whereas with this, you've got... Um, I want to call it like a 3D network. It's a 3D network. 3D network. Let's yeah. say you've got the iron phosphate units and you've got the lithiums in between. Mm. So rather than distinct layers like a Jenga tower. There's, so there's the phosphorus oxide groups which are holding mm. the iron oxide layers uh, s- separate. That yeah. 
Yeah. So the main difference between your game and Lizzie's game um, is the way that the lithium ions sort of move within the structure. So with Lizzie's, the lithium ions intercalate into sort of distinct, in between those distinct layers. Whereas with Emily's, that's a bit different, isn't it? Yeah, it moves into the gaps between the uh, iron oxide layers. Uh, Okay. Within the iron oxide layers, there are phosphorus oxide groups which are holding those iron oxide layers separate. So when you take all the lithiums out of uh, the layered structure, the, the cobalt oxide can like collapses and that happens. But within this other structure, once you remove the lithium ions, it turns into the iron phosphorus oxide structure. Right. So the structure, there is still an intact structure, whereas with Lizzie's game, you can take everything out and it will just fall over as you can imagine would happen if you played a game of Jenga really badly basically Um, you take all the lithiums out and it remains standing so am I right in saying that um with the model that you've made Emily with the LIFEPO4 structure that's less toxic than the LICOO2 structure that Lizzie has so that could be better for the environment couldn't it yeah, I mean, uh, the the safety stems from the difference in structure. Right, um, okay. There are obviously disadvantages to having a structure. For example, um, the energy density is lower because there are less lithiums per the same amount of mass. Yeah. Yeah, so right. I could probably add to that if you want. Yeah, um, go for it, Lizzie. Because, yeah, with this sort of lithium carbon oxide, if you remove all the lithium, you get carbon oxide. And that's not good when you've got, say, your flammable electrolyte and you might be releasing oxygen. But whereas you've got, like, the lithium iron phosphate, I know Emily touched on it. If you remove all the lithium from that, you get iron phosphate. So you've got that safety there. And also the difference in the transition metal. So the lithium carbon oxide, cobalt, it's toxic, nasty, and there's some concerns <laughs> over the mining. Whereas, say, for example, right. if you look at iron phosphate, iron, we know, you know, it's in the Earth's crust. I mean, it does take probably a lot more energy to create the lithium iron phosphate. But in doing so, you've probably got a safer battery material. So I suppose it's down to, again, thinking about the application and thinking about safety. So showing these sort of two different games, you can just, it shows actually the development in the battery chemistry. Like, we're not just sticking to one material. We're going to look with them mm. but, and each have advantages and disadvantages. And it's not saying that, say, for example, lithium coal oxide, it may be like one of the first battery materials to work for lithium iron um, batteries, but is it the best? Could we find something that's safer? And I know, I think a lot of transport, I think in China, they use make use of the lithium iron phosphate. So I suppose it's, you've got to make sure, I think obviously safety's got to be key if it's a consumer, but um, think about the chemistry and think about the application. So I think Emily's one does a fab job of showing sort of 3D network and just showing actually chemistry is different. It doesn't have to stick mm. to the sort of layered rules. Yeah, and it also shows, you know, there are so many things to think about with battery manufacturing. You know, some people might think, oh, well, we know how to make a battery. That's fine. But you have to think about all the different materials. And as Lizzie said, you know, you have to think about how it's being sourced, whether the mining is sustainable. Um, you also have to think about cost too. And cost relates to energy density. So Emily was saying that her structure doesn't have an amazing energy density because there are less lithium ions for the space. So 
there are so many things to think about which is why it's such a complex subject why it needs more funding why it needs more people to sort of understand why this is happening why we there is sort of a battery revolution going on as the Faraday Institute puts it I think another thing to state would be you obviously hear about different types of batteries you hear about a rechargeable versus non-rechargeable and you hear for example lead acid and you hear lithium ion but for example when I was talking to my mum she didn't know that there were different types of lithium ion batteries so demonstrating that there are different materials that go into these and they're not all the same I think is really important just for the public's point of view to see that not all batteries are made the same yeah definitely Definitely. hopefully just avoids people putting say lithium ion batteries in the normal sort of alkaline waste (laughs) they end up in the wrong recycling plant or if they again you don't really want them to end up to landfill with waste but yeah again sort of safety implications so i think that's what emily said it's definitely true like i suppose until you interact with say others who are from a non-scientific background kind of realise kind of lack of understanding and I think it's so important to like get out there and be and kind of just help just just kind of like well this is this this is this and mm. be able to have a talking point because everyone seems to pretty much use smartphones so there's all one thing already in common but yeah so Lizzie what sort of response did you get from your game because you're at a, you know you're at a later stage than Emily is you've got yeah. a paper out on it and you've tested it how did that go? Oh, so we had some really positive responses. So we trialled it with uh, secondary school children. We did up to undergraduate as well. I think Emily, you might have. Were you there for testing as well? Oh, yeah. Wow. So anyone I could <laughs> get to give feedback. Yeah. And we did show that gender is useful. But I mean, it'd be interesting to see how it plays a part in the form of the assessment because we based it on how people felt or how the students felt. Was it useful? And I know a lot of fourth year undergraduates um, who gave us more sort of written feedback Mm. they really liked it just because it's sort of a it's a talking point you know it helps you relate to the applications you're charging your phone but then also it can play into more sort of key sort of concepts so I know electrochemistry there's a paper on it the way it reports students really struggle with that area Mm. of chemistry so having a sort of talking point that's an application everyone can relate to which can like lead into more sort of scientific discussion about redox electrochemical potential is really really handy but yeah we've had a great response and it's been quite fun to do this on the side of the PhD and just yeah just play with Jenga so yeah <laughs> <laughs> and you know it's it's great because it really helps undergraduates get the basics in you know if you don't understand if you haven't got the basics drilled into you you're going to really struggle with the complex chemistry later on. So even though your game doesn't go into all the complex nuances of what they're going to be learning in the future, it means that they've got a really solid foundation to start on, which is so useful because chemistry is really complicated, basically. Definitely. I think having that sort of different representation rather than just like a schematic Mm. on a page where you can actually sort of mess with it and just sort of have a think about how it relates to what you kind of observe with your you know your phone batteries so yeah Mm. so Emily in terms of like understanding with your game you are starting to create some cards to go alongside your game can you tell us a bit more about that yeah so I think one of the things that I like to focus on is making sure that things are applicable and can be used for real world applications and I know you can you can produce a model it can be the best model in the world but unless it's got things to go with it it won't be useful because yeah 
for a start the people who are teaching it need to understand it and it's, it's just good to have things that go along with it so I started off with producing a single set of cards but I soon realised that I needed to differentiate this by ability. So I looked into the national curriculum on BBC Bite Size, for example, uh, all the different educational resources to see the levels mm. that people are at and even the AQA specifications for the exams. So I've now produced um, an A-level version and a GCSE version where the concepts that are introduced within this model like it can it can relate to the uh, what's actually on their exam right Um, and I've taken some of the points from the specification and put them into the cards because one of the things that I remember in school was people always asking why are we learning this why is this on the exam Mm. Um, and I think having the cards that there that link it to real world applications for example batteries it really helps with understanding and relating to real world problems yeah, so I've currently produced two. two. I've done A-level GCSE. Uh, I'd really like to move it down to Key Stage 3 as well. So yeah. look for the national curriculum for that. Um, see where they're at. See how I can adapt it to make it accessible for them. Uh, because I think the younger you introduce concepts like this, it doesn't need to have the nuance. It doesn't need to have the complexity. But even having just a base understanding and linking to applications really helps within learning. Yeah, I mean, that's true. There's actually been a lot of educational papers published on basically exactly what you just said. So chemistry is a really difficult subject to learn. And the real, the reason it's so difficult is because you have a lot of different things to think about. So you've got the things like um your like your compound structures and things like that that you can't really see in real life even if you're doing it in a lab you can't see the structures themselves you only have these you know diagrams to go with it so it's difficult to learn um for a lot of people because it doesn't have much relevance to real life or what you learn as a kid so the earlier on you can introduce something like that the better and there's sort of educational literature to back that up so what both emily and lizzie are doing uh, I think it's really going to help um, kids learn about batteries, kids get into STEM subjects. And especially for, you know, for, for these games, especially children who might have visual impairment, impairments and things like that, it's really inclusive, um, which is amazing. So last questions I've got for you guys is what are the next steps for both of you? Um, so Lizzie, we're going to go first. You've got your fully developed game. Um, you've got a paper out on it. What are your next steps? Oh gosh, okay. So after the paper was published, we actually got some funding to help with a a science festival that went online. So uh, we produced battery packs. So there's 100 Jenga sets that arrived at my house. Uh, We had the stickers, the instructions, and produced videos. So that was all ready for a science festival. The thing is, with the videos that are on YouTube, it can be accessed at any time. So the next steps from here, uh, we've gone on to produce worksheets, also, as Emily said, you know, thinking about the curriculum, making it relevant. So on the group website now, we've got the worksheets on for GCSE A-level, editable documents for teachers to tweak if they want, and also sort of an educator's guide version, because I know not everyone might want to access the journal because it's not always, you know, I suppose, no. usual, visual, friendly. Um, so the next point after this is hopefully try and support teachers a little bit more. So run a CPD. Uh, relating to, say, electrochemistry, tying into batteries and thinking about misconceptions. 
one thing I got later planned in the year as well related to sort of CPD will be uh, an intro for teachers so a lecture for the West Midlands I know I've gone for a cheesy title like <laughs> leave me my batteries born in the 90s why are we why do we still care basically <laughs> um but again it's just now we've got the sort of activity ready it's just going to be well try and get more feedback to see if we can improve it but try and get the breach a little bit greater and get more more of the kids you know accessing this resource so a little bit tricky given the covid limitations we can't yeah. really visit schools and also six weeks holidays but that would be the aim so see if we can run some sessions over zooms if teachers want to access but then again i suppose um i've got to add a few more clips to youtube so break down the activities so i suppose if students can't get access to the jenga but i've got the worksheets can watch the videos can also just see how it goes so that's the next step yeah <laughs> I suppose that's amazing to, yeah see if we've got any more wacky ideas but yeah i think definitely trying to increase the reach would be fantastic yeah i mean you've already got such amazing feedback so it'd be great Thank to you. get these in lots more schools and um, and so emily you've already said about developing the cards would you like to see your game in schools someday i mean yeah it would be really cool to be able to do that. I'd like to develop the cards a bit more just to really refine the details of them and to make them as applicable as possible. Also, like Lizzie has, make some worksheets or something that can go around it that can engage with the students. It's all well and good uh, talking at people, but getting them to interact and answer questions and think for themselves really pushes their understanding which is really important I would like to rebuild it so it can improve the actual structure of it it is very janky it's right so not out of a plank of wood in your garden maybe 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 not out of a plank of wood in my garden (laughs) it it serves its purpose oh yeah no (laughs) I think think thinking about um accessibility etc it would be really cool to make it more tactile um some of the i just used the paints i had available to me um that i found in the shed but searching up the different colors and making sure that they can be differentiated uh for visually impaired people um i think is really important so i would like to go down that route a little bit that's amazing um so i think that's it thank you both very much for joining me thank you for having us (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're welcome Thank you very much for listening to episode two of the Next Road podcast. Lizzie, Emily and my Twitter handles will be in the description, so please do get in touch. There will also be a link to Lizzie's paper on creating her Jenga game and links to the Faraday Institution and the Faraday Institution's Next Road project websites. Bye.